Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another installment of the Battle Round. I'm your host, Paul Valley, and joining me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you today, man? I'm great. We got uh, two Ravens games in one week coming up here. We got Thanksgiving on Thursday, and you know, Ravens Steelers on Thursday night should be really fun. Yeah, uh, let's get past the Titans first, man. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. I'm, I'm nervous. This might be the first week all year that I don't pick the Ravens to win. Uh, ugh, I'm not right there with you. Too many, too many injuries to this team, but the, the Titans are beat up too. So we'll see how that game goes again. We'll talk about that to close the show a little bit here later on in the batter round. But for right now, we have a lot to get into the Orioles making some moves yesterday. Yesterday at 6 p.m. was the deadline to protect your uh, players that aren't already on your 40-man from the Rule 5 draft that are eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Uh, so the Orioles, they've added Yusniel Diaz, Zach Lowther, Michael Ballman, uh, Ryland Bannon, Isaac Matson, and Alexander Wells to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. The casualty in all of this is a fan favorite, Renato Nunez. Renato Nunez, he who hit 31 homers and drove in 90 in um, 2019, led the Orioles in home runs in 2020 in the truncated season with 12. 50 home runs in, what was it, 256 games as a Baltimore Oriole, and he is no longer a Baltimore Oriole as the Orioles designate him for assignment uh, to add some of these players. And before we get into Nunez, we're going to give you a little bit of a background here on some of these players. Yasniel Diaz, the centerpiece of the May Machado trade, has batted 257 with a 337 on base percentage. Um, it, with 16 home runs, 27 doubles, and 70 RBIs in just 123 games in the Orioles organization. So still hasn't even played a full full minor league season. Had some injuries that he dealt with in 2019. Came over and played a little over 30 games in uh, 2018 when he got traded for Machado. Um, Five-tool player. This is a guy that the Orioles expect to be a corner outfielder for him. He's probably going to start the year AAA Norfolk, but we expect to see him make his debut if he's healthy. Uh, if he's healthy, there's no reason he shouldn't make his debut in 2021 and hopefully lock down a corner outfield spot. Maybe get Ryan Mountcastle back in the infield and back to DHing. Your thoughts on Yusniel Diaz, Zach? Well, it's a crowded outfield right now for the Orioles. You know, they have a lot of prospects down there that are going to come up soon. They just drafted another, you know, hopefully superstar outfielder in Heston Kersad. But the outfield at the major league level is very crowded with Mantini coming back and Hayes, of course, and Santander. And there's just a lot of depth there, Cedric Mullins, of course. So Diaz is going to have to prove to everyone that he can hit the ball and be that five-tool player that everyone kind of expected in the Manny Machado trade. And Dean Kramer has kind of taken over as really the centerpiece of the trade after the trade has happened. He's, he's pitched very, very well and become one of the top prospects for the Orioles, and he made his major league debut and pitched great. So Diaz is going to have to show that he can be what he was with the Dodgers, and that was a five-tool player with a great arm. He's great in the outfield. Uh, he has some issues on his routes to the ball, I've heard from from, sort, uh, from some scouts in the past. But if he hits the ball like he did for the Dodgers, he could be a very, very key piece for the Orioles down the road and hopefully get a few reps in left, right, and center this year. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think that that's the goal. And he should be that player. If he stays healthy, again, he's had issues with his legs ever since he's, he's come over here. Um, the injuries notwithstanding... The talent is there and seems to be a guy who performs best when he's in the spotlight. When when Bowie made the playoffs uh, in 2019, 
he performed, hit so well, showed a lot of power. Um, so that's the guy that the Orioles and their fans are, should, are rightfully excited about. Uh, Zach Louth, a left-handed pitcher, taking the second round in 2017 out of Xavier, has a 23 and 13 record and a 2.26 ERA in parts of three minor league seasons at four different levels. Averages 10 and a half Ks per nine throughout his career. Has never posted an ERA higher than 2.55 at any level. Orioles um, protecting him. He composite all of these guys that we're going to talk about have the potential to make their debut in um, in 2021. Um, so we're not going to get too deep into them because actually we're going to talk about them a little bit in Orioles banter a little bit later on. Uh, then Michael Bauman, a third-round pick out of Jacksonville University, as you mentioned to me earlier. Austin Hayes also went to Jacksonville University uh, in 2017 for Bauman, the third-round pick. 24-13 and 13 with a 286 ERA in three minor league seasons. This is a guy, 2019, he began his season with uh, with high A Frederick. Five shutout innings in which he allowed one hit, just 10 strikeouts, with 10 strikeouts, excuse me, not just, that's a lot of strikeouts, against the Fayetteville Woodpeckers in the Carolina League opener. But then the highlight was his fifth start once he was promoted to Bowie through a no-hitter against Harrisburg with 10 strikeouts on just 94 pitches. He was popping the mitt at 97 miles an hour in the ninth inning of that start. This is impressive, promising young arm that the Orioles wanted to protect, another guy that could make his debut um, in 2021, Ryland Bannon, and this might have as much to do with Renato Nunez as anything else. Uh, he came over in that Dodgers trade as well. He slashed 280, 375, which is really good on base percentage, and he slugged 41, not too bad. Parts of three minor league seasons between the Orioles and the Dodgers. Has some pop, plays solid enough defense. Uh, depending on who you ask, he's better at third, he could be better at second, but he can play defense in the major leagues at third base and at second base. He hit 20 home runs in the Pacific Coast League before coming over to the Orioles in 20 in 2018. He's a shorter guy. He's only five foot eight, which uh, which a lot of people wouldn't know. I didn't know that till I looked it up on him last summer. Um, but Rowland Bannon's a guy that they want to. He's going to be cheaper than Renato Nunez. He could potentially play third base. The Orioles may have that opening at second base if Sanchez doesn't work out. If Hanser Alberto also gets designated for assignment, he could potentially get some time there. This is a guy the Orioles are going to take a long look at in spring training. Uh, Isaac Matson, one of four players to come over in the Dylan Bundy trade last winter, pitched at three different levels in 2019. He compiled a 6-3 and record with a 2.33 ERA in 37 games while striking out 13.5 per nine. It's including 18.3 Ks per nine in AAA. It was only in nine and third innings, but he struck out 19 dudes in nine and the third innings at AAA. Yeah, that, that's incredible. That is a number that you don't see very often, and especially given the fact that AAA had the, the rumored juice balls, just like the major uh, major leagues did over the past couple of years. So that is a very impressive feat from Matson, and he's a guy I really like. Well, and even more impressive is that this is a guy that went from high A to double A to AAA in the span of one season and is now knocking on the door for the major leagues. If the Orioles had played a regular season, uh, they played a regular season, but 162-game regular season in 2020, he would have he would have debuted for the Orioles. He was at the alternate training site, never got the call. That's okay. A lot of guys that probably would have gotten the call in 2020 if things were normal didn't get the call. That's all right. We're hoping we're getting back to somewhat of a sense of normalcy in 2021. Maybe not a full 162 games, but enough games that you can get so you can have a minor league season and get some looks at some guys. 
So, Madsen protected there. Then the final guy protected is Alexander Wells, who was signed out of Australia prior to the 2016 season, has won 30 games with a 2.82 ERA in four seasons, was named the Orioles 2017 Jim Palmer Minor League Pitcher of the Year. Doesn't throw hard. Tops out at 88 on a good day. Um, but he has pinpoint control. He only walked 10 guys in 2017. I think he walked like four dudes after June. That is bananas. Bananas. To walk 10 guys over the span of a full season is absolutely insane. Obviously why he was uh, the 2017 Minor League Pitcher of the Year for the organization. Big looping curveball uh, that keeps hitters off balance. Uh, He's also working on a slider-cutter combination there uh, that could prove to be a big pitch for him. This is a guy who, if you look at his, if you look just strictly at his stuff, how would he succeed? How would he succeed? But he has dominated at every level that he's been at. And the Orioles want to take a look at him, whether he ends up being in the bullpen, kind of like a um, Cesar Valdez with that dead fish changeup that he had, or they could use him. Really, they view him as a starting pitcher. When I was reading about this last night, they view him as a starting pitcher. That's why they wanted to protect him. These are all guys who we could see make their big league debut in 2021 and potentially help this roster. Yeah, on Wells, he's a lot like Lowther. People were saying these guys are kind of very, very similar in the Orioles organization. Both guys you don't throw very hard and are finesse pitchers. Lowther, I would I would say, is a little bit better from what I've heard and from what I've seen from both of them. Um, yeah, Like you said, Wells, obviously the stuff really isn't there, but if you can be that Tom Eshelman or that Cedar, Cesar Valdez kind of guy who's going to just completely keep your walk numbers so low, you're going to have success at any level. It doesn't matter if you're not walking guys. You're, you're always going to have success if you're doing that. And it's, it's just... You're, if, if you've got a guy who has that kind of control, they're valuable to you. Now, I don't know if Wells would have been picked. I, I have a little bit of doubt that he would have been and maybe return if he had been picked. But this is a guy I think you want to keep around for pure control ability. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing with all these guys. They're, they're all young. All have yet to make their big league debut. Are all under control but for the foreseeable future for the Orioles. So this is, this is one of these things where... They haven't added six men to their roster to protect them since 2010. None of those guys were worthwhile in the majors. I think this is it's going to be different with this crop of players, different regime, different talent evaluators, different analytics. These are guys who are going to help the team, some more than others, some more than other, others. Yes, Neil Diaz, if he stays healthy, will help more than, say, Ryland Bannon. You know what I mean? But... And you, when you look at the Orioles' future rotation, you're going to have Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall right there at the top. Where does Alex we- Alexander Wells and Zach Lowther fit in? Where does Michael Ballman fit in? Is he a number three, a number four? Are they bullpen pieces. But these are all guys who are going to be big league players. From what I've heard, there are actually people in the Orioles organization who think Ballman is actually better than D.L. Hall. I have heard that some some of the scouts and the talent evaluators there. That would be awesome. I mean, if you can slot Ballman in as a future number three, that's fantastic. Or even a number two, that is a top three for for the Orioles, it's going to be very hard to beat if they all pan out, as we think they are. So, you know, a, a lot of these guys, I look at Diaz and Lowther and Ballman as guys that for sure 
would have been claimed in the Rule 5 draft. I, again, you don't know if a team is going to keep them for as long as they would have have to, which is a full 162. But these are guys that just have a lot of talent, and the Orioles were going to add sooner rather than later. And look, the Orioles only had five open spots on their 40-man. They added six guys. That just shows you how much they think of all of these guys. Well, yeah, and to get to that sixth guy, they had the DFA, Renato Nunez, we mentioned. 50 home runs in 263 games in Baltimore, 31 in 2019 when he also drove in 90. Nunez had become a fan favorite in Baltimore, uh, Price tag was potentially $2.1 million. This is a guy who has no defensive positions. He plays third base. He plays first base, but neither of them well. He has stone hands. I've seen him drop throws where they hit him right in the glove. Uh, Subpar on base capability, especially for a power hitter. Yeah, he might hit six or seven home runs in a given month, but he's going to do that in one week, and he's going to go cold for three weeks. You're looking at a guy who gives you six good weeks out of a year and then 20 mediocre at best weeks uh, simply put his capabilities it was too much for a rebuilding ball club to to pay him especially when frankly you have cheaper guys waiting in the wings rylan bannon yusnail diaz dj stewart who can all potentially do at a minimum what renato nunez does we, we saw that dj stewart could hit six or seven home runs in a given month he hit eight and seven games at one point for the orioles this past season so this was a roster squeeze more than anything. Even Mike Elias said, look, this was a difficult decision, but he doesn't fit on our roster anymore. And look, I know Orioles fans are upset about this. I get it. You have a guy who, is, who could potentially hit 40 home runs in a year and you DFA him. But think about the players that he would be taking at bats from. Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Yusniel Diaz. Now look, Diaz hasn't done anything to prove himself at the major league level. But Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle alone, taking a bats from either one of them, is something I'm not okay with. And Orioles fans, you should be excited that a guy like Renato Nunez is no longer a fit on this ball club. It means that they are progressing. That a guy like Renato Nunez, who in the dark ages of the Orioles would have been their cleanup hitter, would have been their probably lone all-star, is not a fit on a rebuilding ball club anymore. It means they're getting better. They are getting better. A guy that hits 248 with 30 home runs and gets on base at a 319 clip is not a fit on the Baltimore Orioles roster. Soak that in for a second. That's, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brace you right now because in about two weeks, just under two weeks, you're going to be disappointed again because they're going to do the same thing with Hanser Alberto. He gone. I'm telling you right now, these guys are not fits on this roster. And while you love them, while they're great clubhouse guys, it is a good thing. It means your team is getting better. No, that, that's exactly it. The team is getting better, and they're, they're weeding out the guys that maybe don't belong as much. And, you know, that, that just means more room for prospects, and everyone always asks for prospects, so here you go. You're going to see more and more because of this move. UCL Diaz, probably one of those guys. Now, if you look at Nunez, I, I think fans are always going to get upset when you DFA a guy who hits a lot of home runs because people love home runs. That's a proven fact. It's just the way it is in baseball. And Nunez, sure, hits a lot of home runs, but you've got to look at the bigger picture. What else does this guy bring to the team for you? What else? He doesn't hit cut for contact. He doesn't have a good arm. He doesn't play in the field well at all. He, he's 
awful out there. He doesn't run well. He's basically a one-trick pony, and that's a home run every couple weeks. He's just a streaky hitter who really just doesn't have a spot on this team anymore. And if you look at his defensive war over the years, he has a negative 1.9 defensive war over his entire career, which is absolutely awful. And just negative 0.5 of that came in this year alone, which he didn't even play much defense in, um, you know, in, the, in the 2020 season. So Nunez, clearly, if you've ever watched him out at third base, ever at first base, ever in left field. He's not a fit out there at any defensive position. And when a guy can't play defense and you have other guys who can and who can almost hit as well, that's going to be the guy who gets chosen. Absolutely. And for me, I am, I'm excited. I'm excited because we're ushering in a new day in Baltimore. The Orioles are no longer looking for placeholders. They're looking for players. God love Renato Nunez. God love him. He ain't the dude. He ain't the dude. I can find... You could sign Chris Davis with a K to hit 220 with 40 home runs and play eh, defense. I don't want that guy. This Orioles ball club, if that guy's on your roster, there's a problem. You're not winning the World Series with a guy like Renato Nunez on your roster. I'm telling you right now, the winning teams, they don't have guys to hit... Okay, Jock Peterson over in L.A. They won a World Series. He's a key player for them, but he's a role player. He's not an everyday player for them anymore. That's a guy that plays three times a week. Now, look, he hits 30 home runs in a season playing those three times a week, but that's not an everyday player. And he can give you at least something on defense. Again, Renato Nunez, a one, like you said, a one-trick pony. I don't, I'm not hating on the guy. I just can see the forest for the trees, and the forest for the trees shows me that the Orioles are getting better, and that's important. That's important. Yeah, I have no doubt that someone claims Renato Nunez if he goes on outright waivers, which the Orioles will have seven days to trade him or put him on outright waivers, and I don't really see a trade coming together. I'm not sure how that would work because there's just not really much that a team would be willing to give up for a guy like that. Maybe international bonus slot money, but other than that, probably not. And if he is put on waivers and a team gets a chance to claim him, I think there is a team who would take that kind of power and at least give it a shot, maybe try to pass him through waivers again, get him in their minor leagues, and you know have him on your trip triple-A team to call up later in the year, but Nunez, the, the value he brings to any team really is just not that high right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving on, we've got a pretty good show coming up for you today. Pretty good. That's underselling it from the uh, Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here uh, in Baltimore. We have Stan the Fan Charles at 1020. We have Jason Lock and Four at 1050 from uh, Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan. Orioles banter at around 11.20. We pre-recorded an interview with Tim Healy. He covers the Mets for Newsday. Um, he could not do today, but he wanted to come on the program, so we worked it out and we pre-recorded with him yesterday. So at 11.35, we're going to play that for you. But right now, Zach is going to sound off on a guy who was left off of the Orioles roster, who also came over in that Dean Kramer, Manny, I'm sorry, in that Manny Metallic trade that netted the Orioles, Dean Kramer, and Yosniel um, Diaz. And there were some people who thought that Zach Pop would be the best player of the bunch. And Zach's going to sound off because he did not get added to this roster. Yeah, Zach Pop didn't get added. And I've already seen a lot of Orioles fans very concerned about this, that he will be picked. And I'm just going to try to convince you why he's not going to be picked. So Zach Pop, we know about Zach Pop. He's a guy who is maybe in, in the future closer's role. He's he's very, very good as a relief pitcher, and he strikes out a lot of guys. He's got very, very good stuff. He's got solid control. But this is a guy who hasn't pitched in two years. 
He's coming off of Tommy John. He hasn't hit AAA. He's never been in the majors before. For the Orioles to put him on that 40-man roster, number one, you're, you're messing up a space for a, for a prospect who might be more advanced, who can make the majors and have a, a, a impact in 2021, where Zach Pop can't. And number two, you're, you're missing out on a, on a space. Maybe you can make a waiver claim. Maybe you can make a trade. It takes up an unnecessary space on the 40-man roster. So for another team to actually go out there and claim Zach Pop in the Rule 5 draft, which is going to be a, a smaller draft in the first place. Teams don't usually take too many guys, and they're going to take even less this year because of COVID-19. So for Zach Pop to be claimed, I would be shocked. And then if he isn't returned, the, the team has to keep him on the roster for 162 games. If he isn't returned, I would say I would be shocked at that point. And for for the Orioles to waste a spot on Zach Pop right now just really wouldn't make sense. He hasn't pitched in two years. It's it's just not really a move I don't think anyone should be concerned about. Well, yeah, if he had pitched at all in the last two years, it would be something that you, you can be concerned about. This is a guy who, who profiles as a legitimate reliever for the Orioles. Again, though, he hasn't pitched in a while. You have to keep him on the Major League roster. I, I, I agree with you. I don't see a team picking this guy up. Um, I think that the Orioles are safe there. Same thing with Cody Sedlock. Now, Cody Sedlock, I'd actually expect more so to get picked up because he's a former first-round pick. and if he, he pro, uh, they, wanted, they picked him as a starter, but he profiles more as a reliever at this point in his career, and I could see somebody picking him up, but probably not Zach Pop. Uh, yeah, as a swingman, Cody Sedlock makes a lot of sense, but Zach Pop is more of that late-inning closer role, eighth or ninth, so Pop just kind of unlikely for me. You know, I really want to get Stan the Fan Charles' opinion on this. So without further ado, Stan, how are you this morning? What are you talking about? I'm fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing, we're doing pretty well. A lot of Orioles stuff to talk about today with adding these six players to that roster. And again, yeah. they were Yasniel uh, Diaz, Michael Ballman, Zach Lowther, uh, Rylan Bannon. You're looking at Isaac Matson and Alexander Wells. Stan, were there any surprises for you, whether they were added or not added to the roster yesterday? Yeah, just listening to um, Zach, ironically, talk about Zach Pop. That's the one guy I would hate to lose. I probably would agree with Zach. I think these teams have their, most of them have so many problems, you know, figuring out what they've got that I don't expect the Rule 5 to be entirely you know, a busy marketplace this this season. Um, uh, he's a guy I would hate to lose, but I would probably tend to... I, I think if anybody's going to take him, it would probably be the team most familiar with him, which would be the Dodgers. So, and, and I don't frankly know their whole roster makeup. I would doubt that they have a lot of room... You know that they'll have much room to uh, maneuver somebody like that. So I think for Peter's sake, I might have kept him over Alex Wells. Um, but you know, again, you guys both make the point that he hasn't pitched in nearly two years. So uh, the likelihood of him getting selected is 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 slight. I would say. Well, yeah. I, I, again, we're all we're all in agreement here. And Stan, you mentioned the Dodgers, but most. 
teams that have World Series aspirations, they don't really bother with the Rule 5 draft pick. They usually don't have the roster flexibility to get yeah. a, a Rule 5 guy and keep them on their roster for the full season. So I agree with you. I agree with Zach. I think that Zach Pop is probably safe. Um, Alexander Wells. Who, who is the guy? You guys might remember, uh, and um, his name escapes me, but do we have a guy that's had a checkered sort of injury history he was a starting pitcher in 19, and he was his first name Gray. Yeah, Gray Fenter. Yeah. What happened to him this past year? Because it sounded like he kind of, in 19, came out of nowhere. And I know that's a real long shot, but it sounded like he had an interesting uh you know, path that he was making his way toward the big leagues. Yeah, Gray Fenter had uh, pitched in Delmarva last year, I believe it was, and then the Orioles decided to leave him off the the 40-man as well when it came Rule 5 time last winter, and and again, a lot of people were kind of worried about that. But he's a guy who is a little bit too advanced for A-ball at this point in his, in his career. I believe he's 23 right. or 24 years old at this point. Um, but, a, but a guy that really just wasn't going to be taken. It was, it was you know, it, also an injury history, and it hadn't that pitched all that much after coming out of college. So that's your thinking. Right. Yep, I was definitely thinking of him. It sounded like he was a little bit of a hard choice last December uh, or November for them, but they opted not to you know, protect him, and nobody took him there. It's a year later, so he hasn't pitched. He's probably really not on anybody's radar right now, that I would think. Yeah, I'd imagine that that, that he's safe. Had that sparkling year, 8-2 and two and 22 starts with a 181 ERA for single-A Delmarva uh, back right. in 2019. But as Jack mentioned, he was, he was uh, advanced age-wise to be pitching down there. Yeah. They wanted to get him through a season healthy, and then see where he really fit uh, last year, and that was, of course, taken away. You know. And again, one of the shames about not having a minor league season in 2020, you didn't get to see these guys perform and see if they could take it to the next level. Now, yeah. Stan, again, uh, and one other, one other, you know, roster situation. We were we nailed it with Renato Nunez. So it shows you what their thinking is. Nunez is a guy who probably would arbitration-wise be about a $3 million player now, I'm guessing? Uh, 2.1 they were projecting him to make this year. Okay. Well, um, you know, they, they're, they're going to be looking to cut corners wherever they can. I wouldn't 100% rule out his return, you know, at a million dollars or something like that, If he, you know, if he can't do better. Uh, but... He, he's a guy that just doesn't really profile the fit with Trey Mancini coming back and uh, the need for that flexibility uh, with the designated inner slot and the fact that he can't play third base. Well, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I also don't think that he's going to be around for the Orioles to potentially re-sign him. I think somebody's going to pick him up. I could see a team, yeah. like, I could see a team like Tampa Bay picking him up and letting yep. him and letting him DH for them instead of having a what was it G Man Choi or Yoshi Susugo. Yeah, uh, whoever whoever it was it was a, a big guy um who a big Asian guy who hit a lot of home runs who, who hits a lot of home runs but doesn't hit for high average I could see the Rays potentially pick. he seems like their kind of player um with all yep. the pitching he could add a little bit of pop to their lineup I don't expect Nunez to be around beyond Thanksgiving Yeah I I would agree I think he'll have he'll have a deal 
Yeah, the Orioles have uh, seven days to now trade Nunez or place him on outright waivers. But, Stan, do you think if the Orioles were to pass him or through outright waivers and nobody gets to claim him, would the Orioles decline to put him back in their minor league system, or do you think they'd happily put him in AAA if they could? I, you know, again, would he, would he have the ability to, to turn down them claiming him and putting him in, would he have the ability to declare himself a free agent? Yes. What, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I would I would think he's going to at least explore, to me, if he came back to the Orioles in some way, shape, or form, it would be late. You know, I think he's going to explore. And, and I think, uh, like you say, I think a team like maybe, and again, without knowing the systems, I think a team like Cleveland might take him. The Rays might take him. The A's might even be yeah. interested in a guy like that. You know, if they if they solve their own roster puzzles, uh, he's a guy that does profile as a major league player. I just don't think he makes a lot of sense to protect over any of these younger players at this at this point in time by the Orioles. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, like, Stan, you and I, we were talking about it basically all season long, that this was um, – basically since August we've known that this was probably a move that was going to happen. It's, he's, yeah. not a, he's not a – he's a one-trick pony, as Zach said in our, in our introduction to the show today. There's just not a fit for him. And I, I you know, I, I alluded to this earlier this year because he slides right out, and sure enough, he slid right out. Now, there are – by December 2nd, the Orioles have to – tender contracts to all their pre-arbitration, to all their arbitration-eligible players. There's a couple of guys that I'm going to ask about. We've talked about it, it seems like, every week. Hanser Alberto, yeah. I think he's the next one out the door. Um, what are your thoughts on him? He's due a raise to about anywhere from 2.3 to $4.1 million, depending on how many games they played this year. I think he's the next odd man out. I think that Rylan Bannon being protected, I think the addition of Yolmer Sanchez – Again, the writing is on the wall let for Hunter Alberto. But let me just pose you one question, and I know it's a it's sort of an end game of chess. Uh, having watched the Queen's Gambit, uh, I'll throw that chess reference in there. There you go. Um, why they wouldn't have protected Pop and and been proactive with um, deleting Alberto at this point? Uh, uh, you broke up a little I, bit. And I'm not disagreeing that he won't be part of the mix. But why in 12 days or 14 days do they get, is he out of here, and yet they, they kept him over Zach Pop on November you know, 20th? doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I just think it, it keeps the space open for a waiver claim or a possible trade they could make or, or something like that where they would need to have an extra spot open on the 40-man roster. And Zach Pop obviously is not that close to the majors. They probably just felt like there was really not much of a chance he would have been taken. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I think that makes sense. But I think yeah. leaving a leaving a 40-man spot open is always a good idea. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, I, we, we do seem to talk about him, and during, you know, during the off season, of course, you have limited topics you can talk about when you're doing a show on a, on a specific team. But I do think that uh, Hanser has probably played his last game for the Orioles. And and look, I, I don't, 
I don't bring him up because I, I I don't have a dislike for the player. I think he's great for the clubhouse. I think that he's good at the at the role that he plays. I bring it up because I'm trying to brace our fans, our listeners, Orioles fans in general, for the the real possibility that he could not be here. And we saw the the backlash when they got rid of Nunez last night. I, I was in an all out Twitter war with people who didn't understand the move. One guy even tried, who even argued for what seemed like hours that he's that Renato Nunez is the same player as Trey Mancini. So I'm just trying to, to brace people for the fact that Alberto could not be here because I know he's a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're going through a rebuild like the Orioles are, uh, and let's be really honest, we're, we're optimistic about the way this is developing, yeah. but it's still rather early in, in this. There just really isn't a lot of place for guys that, that really don't make, make your team better in a literal sense, you know, yes, he does make the clubhouse better. He's a terrific story. And again, I think he fits and profiles as a nice utility player with a good team. You know, um, it's clear by, by the way the Orioles picked him up a couple of years ago when, you know, he went back and forth on waivers that there'll, there'll be interest in Hanser Alberto, no question about it. Absolutely, this guy—he was DFA'd four times prior to yeah. prior to the 20 nineteen season before Wasn't he really it like made. Texas and the Giants. And yeah, and the Orioles else. twice. It was the Orioles twice, and it was the Giants, and it was it was Texas. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then this is a guy who who, who made his mark at three hundred five was historically good against uh, yeah. left handed pitching in twenty nineteen. Took a step back. I was watching a, an Orioles classic game from. Uh, September sixth, I want to say, um, of this past season, it was Dean Kramer's first start against the Yankees. He one hit him over six innings on September sixth. Renato, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Hanser Alberto was hitting three twenty two. Three weeks later, when the season ended, he was hitting two eighty three. His batting average dropped thirty nine points in three weeks. It shows you how poor his September was and why he could be a roster crunch for this team. Now, yeah. another guy. Um, that has been rumored to possibly be non-tendered is Pedro Severino. He's due a raise to a, to about four point one million in arbitration to be the Orioles' everyday catcher. I if the uh, Orioles, I, I think I think he is definitely. I mean, there's a guy who's also. You talk about a guy whose average went down the last thirty or forty games. Um, you know, he 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 he, he produced virtually nothing the last 30 games of the season last year. And, and while, yeah, you know, while you're, while you're biding time until Adlai Rutschman is ready, you, you tend to think, well, there's really no point in getting rid of him because he and Cisco make a nice platoon. I'll tell you what, and we may have talked about this two or three weeks ago, you look at a guy like Mike Zanino and just uh, – Granted, he's not going to hit much. He is going to pop some home runs. But what he does to a pitching staff compared to what Severino and Cisco do, it's it's like night and day. If I could get that guy for like, you know, a million and a half, a million seven, two million, and, and not have Severino at four million, there, there's no question who I'd rather have it would be Zanino. 
Yeah, Stan, I want to move back to Hanser Alberto for just a second because last night, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw it, but there was a, a, an account that tweeted out about Renato Nunez being cut from the Orioles, and then they said it looks like Hanser Alberto might be the next guy, and the official account of Hanser Alberto, he replied to it with a bunch of sad face emojis and then later deleted it uh, a few hours later. So I just want to get your thoughts on that, and is that a bad look for Hanser Alberto or, or for the Orioles? You mean you mean Hanser actually, or was it somebody from the Orioles? No, it, it was Hanser actually himself. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I I like a guy that wants to be a Baltimore Oriole. Yep. You know, if he's with the Orioles and wants to be part of this, it's it's not the greatest look to get into a Twitter battle. But uh, you know, I'm 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 gonna. You know, I'm going to reserve uh, really bashing him over that. It's not a particularly good look, and I'm sure that the Orioles uh, were proactive in getting that thing deleted. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they were, much like the John Harbaugh and Hollywood Brown tweet from a, from that Steelers game. So, yeah. um, now look, there, there's, a, there's a few free agent catchers that are on the market, so if the Orioles choose not to tender a contract to Pedro Severino, you don't think that they're going to make the replacement in-house that, it's going to be, that they're going to go out and maybe sign a free agent catcher? I would think that that would be the way the way to go, and I think it would be. Look, Brandon's been here two years now. He, you know, he's he's a good company guy, and he's going to lobby behind the scenes on something. He cannot like what either of these two catchers really bring to the table as catchers. Forget their limits offensively; they are not difference makers to a pitching staff. I mean, watching the playoffs, you really saw in in because we got the you don't get to watch Mike Zanino seven days in a row and see the things that he brings to the table. We might see him start two out of three games against us, and then three weeks later we might see him start two out of three games against right. us. But I, I was really impressed with uh, with that and sort of envisioning what. He would bring with somebody with his skill set behind the plate, along with a pitching coach that that they really want in place, and Chris Holt, and some of the talent we have. What that person, you know, to me, a catcher is very similar to a jockey in horse racing. You know, he's he's the guy that's helping the horse kind of move and and do things right. Um, I was amazed at how how active he was going out to talk to his pitchers and how how he threw his body in there to block balls. Uh, it's bothered me for 15 years how horrible the Orioles have been with catching, you know? And that even includes Matt Wieters when he was supposed to be such a, a brilliant catcher. Uh, you know, they haven't had a really good hockey goalie catcher for a long, long time. You know, somebody that's really going to, move his body in, in the right positions and in time uh, to block pitches. The, the Orioles have driven me insane with how many wild pitches and pass balls they have. And I include the wild pitches in there because the good catcher is going to block some wild pitches. You know. Well, yeah, and look, you've been watching the Orioles longer than I have, clearly, Stan. I, I will defend Matt Wieters I've on this. Lo- I've been watching them longer than you've been alive. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Both uh, of you. Both of you. So, but I, I will defend <laughs> Matt Wieters, four-time Gold Glove Award winner, and that's right. a guy, 
it seemed like every ball that he needed to pick to make a big play on at the plate, yeah. he did it. Uh, I, I thought okay. that and I thought that the difference was glaring with this organization once Matt Weeders left the organization because you have guys that can't make the plays at the plate that he did. But that's yeah. a topic for another day. Now, you mentioned Mike Zanino. I would be thrilled to have a Mike Zanino as uh, a battery mate with this Orioles' young pitching staff. They're, they're, I think they're yep. looking at defense up the middle with, with Iglesias and Sanchez and then Hayes and possibly Mullins in center field. So having a good defensive-minded right. uh, uh, guy like Zanino would be nice. The question is, he would know that he's a placeholder. He would know that Rutschman is waiting in the wings. He just played in a World Series. What's the likelihood that he would accept a contract with the Orioles when there were probably other teams well, that would be knocking? It, dep- it depends upon his marketplace. Look, th- this uh, pandemic has done one thing. It's backed off. In my opinion, there's virtually no chance that Rutschman comes up to the big leagues this year. I, and if it is, it's and again we can. It's very interesting this week and uh, uh, to see that Major League Baseball is putting out the proactive situation of opening day on April first. Yeah, I saw that. Games are on ESPN. Uh, I don't know who's kind of looking at the COVID numbers right now. Uh, I guarantee you, one hundred percent, that Major League Baseball is not going to be playing on April 1st, uh, and I think the likelihood of May 15th as the earliest that baseball opens uh, would be very high, and maybe even a little bit later. They won't start as late as last year. They'll come to terms and play more games than they did last year, but that was really preposterous that they're announcing what games are going to be on on April 1st. On ESPN. Yeah, it's funny. It not, well, not funny, but kind of um, ironic that you can look at one. You have two TVs set up in your room, and on one it can say, opening day scheduled for the first. The Nationals are playing the Mets. And then on the right. other TV it says, corona cases are up 1,300 cases since yesterday. It, it, it's, right. it's it's like one, one side is not in tune with the other. So I agree with you there, Stan. Now, moving- and, and, and again, the reason we bring it up is because the – relationship between the COVID numbers and the likelihood that they could allow any fans in to start the season. And again, this revenue, as we're seeing as teams like the Dodgers, the richest team probably in all of baseball, had to lay off all their front office staff, you know, or a good number of them this week. It's not that these teams are just sitting there with bundles of cash to pay people. They need the, the, the fan involvement to really, you know, make this all, make the 162-game the thing work at all, and they're just not going to have those kind of numbers of fans this year. So I think we're looking, you know, and this is a topic we can get into probably after the first of the year, but I think you're looking at about 100, 100 to 115 game max season. Well, and and I'll tell you, the the Orioles contacted me about a month ago, um, asking yeah. me if because I have a credit from all the tickets that I bought for last year. They were asking me if I was interested right. in buying a plan, and I'm like, I'm not making a commitment to you all before I right. even know when the season starts, before I even know if there's going to be fans allowed in the stands. So to talk about opening day on April 1st, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. So, yeah. um, by the way, I will say, and I, I know Rich Dubroff of BaltimoreBaseball.com was the only person. I know who uh, tweeted it. We did a story about three years ago 
about why the hell Southwest Airlines wasn't flying into Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, uh, starting like February 1st, Southwest is going to be flying from Baltimore to Sarasota. Good. Whereas in they the should. past, you either had to fly to Tampa or Fort Myers. But, of course, this year, I'm not making any plans to go to spring training because I don't think there'll be spring training in Sarasota. Yeah, I've, I, 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 Florida is like a hot spot for I, I, I doubt that also. Now, moving on, Stan, before we let you go, there is some news outside yep. of the Orioles. Robinson Cano suspended for the entire 2021 season, tested positive for Stolozenol. My question is, what was he thinking? Two, two suspensions in two years. Uh, the guy's 38 years old. He had a Hall of Fame caliber career at second base, and now his career is forever tainted. What was this dude thinking? Well... You know, again, I I don't know exactly what was in his mindset, but whatever he was taking, this is a guy who you know I I kind of know the the story personally because I I drafted him in my fantasy baseball league about four years ago and got an amazing season out of him coming mm-hmm. off of an injury, uh, and then I made the mistake of and I got him at a really good fantasy baseball price, and I should have done what a lot of people do is sort of uh, just be thrilled you got this one great season out of him, and he never afforded me much after that because he had a couple injury and then suspended uh, streaks with Seattle, and uh, look, Seattle was dying to get rid of him. I mean, they put a talent like Einar Diaz in that trade simply because they, um, you know, they could. They really, uh, the Poto really took great advantage of uh, Brady Van Wagenen, who, who Cano, and he was the outgoing, he just got let go by the Mets as their general manager, and he was Robinson Cano's agent. Uh, so he had personal knowledge of the player. You know, players do stuff like that toward the end of their careers. Um, he must have thought he was taking something that would help him stay on the field. And he had a pretty good year last year. It wasn't a great season, but it was a productive season. Um, and it, it kept a little tiny bit of egg off of Brady Van Wagenen's uh, face, but not, an, not a lot enough. Because they also gave up a hell of a prospect in that deal, or a couple prospects the Mets did to, uh, to get Cano in there. Uh, just a, overall a terrible deal. Uh, by the Mets and one they're going to pay for. It's interesting, though, how that that maneuver is going to allow, you know, he's not going to get paid a cent of his $22 million this year. Combine that with the fact that the new owner, Steve Cohn, is a, you know, a, you know, multi-billionaire. He's worth about $20 billion, I believe. Uh, And he wants to be a fan champion. Wouldn't it be interesting to see him get in a bidding war with the Phillies for Real Muto, but also with the Yankees for uh, LeMayu. Um, and that would be very interesting, what those two guys up the middle could do for the New York Mets. Yeah, we had a we had a recorded interview with Tim Healy, who covers the Mets for Newsday. That's gonna be we're gonna be playing that later on in the program today, and we talked exactly about that about Lemayhew, about Real Muto, yep. about George Springer. Seems like the Mets yep. are gonna be big time players and try to ascend to the top of that division. So no, no question about it. Uh, I I happen to watch. Uh, my wife and I are very friendly with a couple with the last name Cohn, and my wife I think 
screwed it up. Her, our friend's son, who's also a billionaire, is one of the owners of the team. He now owns about 5%. And I think we were sort of under the impression he was a cousin of Steve Cohn, but I've read now two or three times that there's no relationship. But I've been following them, that Mets situation, and Mets fans are going to be thrilled with this guy. He's going to be a real fans champion. Uh, and, and, you know, I watched his press release, his press conference uh, when he was um, formally became the owner, and it was really very interesting. They asked him about why he bought the team, and he goes, you know, you, you wonder why you do something like this, and, and you feel like you can do something so good for the community and the fans, and that's why I bought the team. And a guy like that is not going to be kind of watching the nickels and the dimes. He's going to be looking to make a big splash immediately, uh, and LeMayu and Real Muto would be really fascinating uh, guys for him to pick up. Well, it seems like this would be the opportune time. It seems like he's a guy who's more willing to spend than most of the other owners in these troubling times yeah. right now in Major League Baseball. So, Stan, yep. we gotta yep. we got to run. Really uh, appreciate you coming on the program again. conversation today. Absolutely. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. And once again, that was Stan the Fan. Charles joining us for his weekly 1020 segment from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bataround is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Rob Nelson, the founder of Big League Chew, while Stan and Gary chatted with longtime University of Maryland beat writer Don Marcus. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. Coming up Monday night, a neat show as Stan and Ross are joined at 8 by Rich Dubroff from baltimorebaseball.com. Stan actually just mentioned Rich Dubroff talking about how BWI will be now having flights from Southwest from Baltimore to Sarasota, which is a long time coming considering the Baltimore Orioles have their spring training facilities in Sarasota. It all makes too much sense. So tune in on uh, on uh, Monday as Stan and Ross Grimsley are joined at 8 p.m. by Rich Dubrow from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Jason Lockenfor from Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan. Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. 
Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 21st at any of the 12 Baltimore area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate and you also get a free t-shirt. For location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash toy drive. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash toy drive. Masks and social distancing required. Help us stuff the truck November 21st with the Baltimore area Chick-fil-A restaurants. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farm sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate you. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate you. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dicky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle is too tight for dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Glenn Clark Radio and Drew Forrester's DrewsMorningDish.com have partnered up to collect coats and clothes this holiday season for Helping Up Mission. There's never been a more difficult time to take care of those who need it most in our community. Thankfully, Great Eights Memorabilia and Jerry's Toyota and Chevrolet have partnered with us for an awesome collection drive event. We'll be at Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 for a pregame tailgate party before the Baltimore-Cleveland showdown. Joining us will be Ring of Honor star Michael McCrary, who will be taking socially distanced pictures and signing autographs for anyone who donates coats and clothes. That's Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th for our pregame party and collection drive with Michael McCrary with your thoughtful donations to the Helping Up Mission. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. As always, I'm Paul Valley, joined with my co-host, Zach Goodman. And on the line with us right now, he is an insider, uh, an NFL insider for CBS Sports. He hosts Inside Access Monday through Friday uh, from 2 to 6 p.m. on 105.7 The Fan, along with Ken Wyman, who has also been on the show. We have Jason Lockenford joining the program now. Jason, how are you today, man? I'm doing okay. Hope you guys are doing well. 
Yeah, we're, we're doing well. Just getting a little bit of Orioles talk. It always seems like the Orioles make some moves and do some things right before we have a show to give us enough <laughs> to talk about in the offseason. So, um, now, before we get into the moves that the Orioles made last night, Jason, you were outspoken about the Orioles all year, and not just because you had to be. You've always been active talking about the team on social media. All things considered, how would you rate the 2020 season for the Baltimore Orioles? I... Um really enjoyed it and, and uh, found it compelling and, and thought that they were making strides in terms of establishing a little bit of a baseball identity, establishing a little bit of a foundation with some core pieces, um, establishing off the field kind of a little bit more of the profile of the body type of the sort of athletes that are going to fuel this thing. And I, and I think you really saw that come through with the I mean, albeit a very truncated draft, but you look at um, what they did there. Uh, you look at sort of how they're transitioning. Uh, you look at the type of, of leader and man that Brandon Hyde is showing himself to be. Um, and and the, the ability to, to take certain sort of characteristics, certain things they optimize, and 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 kind of do more with less. I mean, you look at that bullpen and the churn of getting, you know, arms, Lakins, and all these guys they accumulate, um, you know, Valdez. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of it's kind of cool. And, and I think as you see that, that they can take these sort of oddball pieces from wherever they get them, turn them into something of some value to them, and then ultimately flip them for even younger pieces that help fill – uh, some of the void along uh, the position, the, you know, the position groups, particularly the infield. And we saw that come to fruition with, with the trades with the Rockies and some of these things. That I think what they can do with pitchers is something we haven't seen around here in a while. And they were handed some really interesting toys from you know, the last couple of Duquette drafts. And, and I think those pieces being in the hands of these guys with their technology, with their savvy, with the way they teach and communicate, with the emphasis they put on player development and research, uh, I think it could be a special kind of thing. Absolutely. And you also look at the fact that they've now promoted Chris Holt to their pitching coach and their pitching director um, who oversees all pitching in the organization. And... To have those toys, like you said, like a D.L. Hall and like a Grayson Rodriguez yep. at their disposal with Chris Holt now now in the fold, as in, in the dugout every game, I think that's a big deal. And then you look at the pitchers. They they protected six guys last night. A number of them were pitchers. You're looking at Zach Louther, Alexander Wells, Michael Bellman, Isaac Matson. Uh, were any of these guys surprises to you? Were you surprised that a guy like Zach Pop was left unprotected heading into the Roll 5 draft? I, um, I've seen all those guys pitch numerous times. Um Quite, quite a bit. Uh, I was, you know, Alex Wells, I've never seen him pitch poorly, but you just watch how he does it, and you're like, he's going to have to have Greg Maddox-like control for that to play, you know, the next step up. And then mm-hmm. he goes to double-A, and he's right there with Lauther and Bauman and Kramer, um, all those guys on that staff, and, and he's putting up, you know, crazy numbers too. Uh, the year away in Australia, though, and I'm thinking, is anyone, do they think anyone's really going to claim him, having not seen him in so long, and him not even being in a 60-team bubble, a 60-person bubble? 
that surprised me a little bit. We we had Elias on our show recently, and I asked him about Pop and where he was in his recovery. And I kind of got the sense from his answer then that they thought they could get him through because he's still not even fully clear right now, and it's a pandemic, and he hasn't pitched in two years. Um, but that kid, uh, I mean, again, it's been a while, but I saw his first outing ever um, after the trade, and you could tell he was a little nervous. He got squeezed on a couple calls. They booted a ball in the infield. Next thing you know, it was bases loaded. He got hit a little bit. His numbers at Bowie were ridiculous. If you take that outing out, it really no one touched him. Um, so I, I'm obviously hopeful that, that you know their calculation there works um, and he gets through. And they're a little higher on, on Bannon than, than perhaps I thought. Um, they might be. And look, in part, some of this might be economics because I'm not sure that Alberto's going to be there. We've seen what's going on with Nunez. You know, I, I'm intrigued by Richie Martin, but, you know, I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know that they want to pay Pat Valleca to do what he did a year ago. Um, so that, that obviously could open the door for, you know, a Bannon to compete with, with Wilkerson and, and Richie Martin as, you know, utility guys. Because um, I, I have a feeling they claim Sanchez for a reason, and I, I think that guy's going to be playing. You know, I think they want to have great up-the-middle defense I with agree. all these young pitchers coming. I 100% agree. Hey, Jason, how you doing? It's Zach Goodman. Um, so I'm going to keep talking about the Rule 5 for a second. So obviously the Orioles have been pretty active over the Rule 5 drafts of the past couple years, and it seems like they could definitely be in line to make another uh, selection this year. First of all, do you think any of the guys who the Orioles protected yesterday would have been picked? And do you think the Orioles will make a selection in the Rule 5 draft come December? Well, I, I, I can tell you I know that Michael Elias and those dudes have a much better pulse on what other organizations are thinking than, than I do. Um, I wasn't sure that Bannon's profile would fit with, with these guys. I thought maybe that's someone who um, you, you could slide through, but that Mike's pretty much come out and said we think we would have lost him. So um, I'm, I'm going to take him, him at his word. Uh, and I think it probably came down to Bannon or Pop and, and you know, with one being injured and having been gone um, for so long. But the other thing is, uh, pop stuff probably plays in the majors right now too, and you know, so that that part kind of worried me a little bit. Um, but no, I, I think they obviously have, you know, they they have their intel, and and let's face it, it's it's not you know the most uh, robust you know forty man or whatever it stood at thirty four man before yesterday, and I would certainly rather them err on the side of caution and keeping anybody who's young and cheap and might be a part of this on the other side. Um, than not, but the, 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 I have to say the guy I'm most excited about of that whole, whatever, double trio, I don't know what you call a, a <laughs> sextet, I guess would that be, a sextet? Six, sounds anyway, right is, is Michael Bauman. I, I think Michael Bauman has a chance to be up there with, you know, mentioned in the same breath as D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez when this whole thing starts sorting its stuff, itself out in the major leagues. Well, that that certainly would make for a stellar top thir- top three in your starting rotation to go along. And then you have John Means in there who could potentially end up being a number four in this Orioles rotation in a couple of seasons. That's certainly something to get excited about. Or or a trade piece. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's I think a strong possibility too. I think there's a number of players right now that Orioles fans love who could be trade pieces before it's all said and done. Now, another, fa- another fan favorite 
Renato Nunez. He was DFA'd last night. Um, did you see this coming? I, I've been trying to kind of brace Orioles fans for the fact that Nunez probably wouldn't be here next year and Hanser Alberto probably won't be here next year. Did you see this coming? Were you upset by the move? Because I got into an all-out beef with people on Twitter last night defending this move by the Orioles. No, I, I'm not surprised at all. There, there was no way to me that Rio Ruiz and Renato Nunez were both going to be here in December. Um, Correct. I just didn't see it happening. Uh, and one guy's got a glove, albeit, you know, his defense started tailing off there. Ruiz did, and I don't know if stuff got in his head or whatever, but Aaron throws and um, some, some decisions that weren't the, the smartest. Uh, but no, I mean, I don't think there's any room for Nunez at, this, at the end. I mean, you're talking about... Um, a number of right-handed bats who are going to be screaming for more ABs, and there's only so many positions you can field, and there's only so many left fielders and so many first basemen. And you know, Yusniel um, Diaz is going to be up. I mean, I think by the middle of the season, at the latest, he's up. You got to start seeing what he can do because you've got this other wave coming of all these, um, you know, kids who are infielders slash outfielders. I mean, they're playing Adam Hall at center field now, Elias told us. So that's like another guy who, I don't know, does he start next year at high A? Does he start next year at double A? But he's, he's, he's an athlete that fits this profile. So, yeah, I think they had to make a move. And, and Alberto, I love him. But I, I think if you, if you, you know, part ways with Hanser Alberto, I mean, do you lose him to somebody else? Maybe. Does he come back here for, you know what I mean, a vet minimum type deal? As a utility guy and a great bat off the bench and, the, you know, a tremendous human being, yeah, but I don't think you could put him at second base 120 times next year and think that's not going to be a problem. And the lack of power, it's, a, it's another one-dimensional guy. Look at the kids they're drafting. They don't, that's not Hunter Alberto. They're twitchy. Exactly. They're athletic. They're explosive. You know, they... They run. They project to be able to play multiple positions. It's just a whole different physique. And so, no, I don't think you could be surprised by any of that. Um, no, yeah, and do they get something for Nunez, but, you know, without just having to let him walk? We'll find out in a week. I mean, something's better than nothing. But after the VR thing, I don't know how this could surprise anybody given, you know, he actually VR fits more with these guys look for, but that you know financially you let him go and and that worked out fine. And at some point we got like next year you you got to give Richie Martin a run. And so if he's at second, maybe that kicks somebody else to third, or you know maybe Rio sticks around. But but Nunez, Alberto, Rio Ruiz, I don't see how any more than one of them is back here next year, at least on their current you know as an arbitration piece or as somebody you paying. Um, some real money to now if they clear waivers and they come back that's a different story well and i'm inclined to agree with you on that one i think rio ruiz is a guy that is back because he's still pre-arbitration eligible he's still fairly young and he's only due about five hundred and sixty thousand right. dollars next year so he's he's the guy i do think that bannon kind of pushes him i think that that's the intent with the orioles i wouldn't be surprised to see a veteran infielder added just to kind of push nope. ruiz because he's got he's got nobody pushing him Right now, it's his job, and he didn't really do much to hold on to it last year. No. So, um, now another guy that has been mentioned is Pedro Severino. He's due a, a raise to over four million through arbitration this year. Now, look, he's the Orioles' starting catcher. They don't have Chance Cisco is not an everyday catcher at the major league level. Brian Holiday really isn't, a, uh, or Austin Wins. 
But it's rumored that the Orioles could non-tender Severino. Now, we talked to Stan, the fan, Charles, just before you came on, and he thinks a guy like Mike Zanino would be a good fit in Baltimore. If the Orioles non-tender Severino, do you see them signing a veteran catcher? Does this mean that we could see Rutschman sooner than later? Or do you think that they go in-house and have a guy like Austin Wins pair up with uh, Chan Sisko to be the catching duo for the Orioles in 2021? I'm a huge prejudice Severino guy. I love his energy. I love... Uh, his nature. I, I love the way he commands pitchers. I, I love everything about his spirit. I love his bat. I love his arm. But they're, they're bringing up more and more kids, and it's spin rate, and it's, it's, it's breaking balls, and it's the depth of the break. And I felt like he was spending a lot of time chasing balls, and yeah. it wasn't always on the pitchers. And that's a steep price, and, and this is going to be baseball's nuclear winter. Like, we always look at things through this myopic prism of Baltimore and small market, yada, yada, yada. I mean, there's, 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 there's big money. I mean, the Nationals are getting rid of coaches, right? And the Nationals are cutting down on some things. And the Cubs are talking about trading their superstars because they don't want to pay them. So, uh, you know, the Indians walking away from Brad Hand. So I, I think you have to look at it as that umbrella and say, well, wait a minute. The Orioles aren't the only team doing this. Everybody's going to be doing this, and we could maybe find someone a little more proven as a pitch framer, someone a little more accomplished as just a high-end backstop. And, you know, if he's got a little bat, who cares? But somebody who might have to catch 100-plus games, you know, if Cisco's defense hasn't really improved. So I kind of felt like that was a priority. It needed to be a priority for them. Anyway, unless Severino, you know, in the offseason took, took a few more steps forward in terms of just keeping stuff in front of him and being a little more sound. I just think that's a We talked about up the middle defense, and, the, and obviously the catcher spot is going to be paramount. Um, as you continue to see, you know, more pitch. I mean, I, 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 I mean conservatively, Barring a rash of injuries, I think you see probably at least two or three more guys added to the mix of potential starters next year, and that's on top of Aiken and Kramer. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing them get somebody uh, who who has proven his worth as a plus defensive catcher who you probably get on the cheap because the market's flooded. Yeah, Jason, I, I, know, I know you're very interested in, into the minor leagues for the Orioles, and I'm sure you've seen Brett Cumberland quite a few times. How far, away, how far away do you think he is defensively, and could he make an impact oh, for the 2021 Orioles? I don't, I don't – to me, he's a first baseman. I mean, when Bowie was playing really meaningful games um, down the stretch of their playoff run, Cumberland was, was basically a DH or a pinch hitter, sometimes first base, although um, – not all that much. I, he's got a really kind of overly up, uppercut swing. Um, he's a guy who you look at him and you look at what they draft and you say, wow, would they even be intrigued by him? I think he's a ways away. And I don't know that he's a catcher. I, I, I just don't. Um, when he makes contact, I mean, he can hit it like Paul Bunyan. But he, to me, looked like somebody who was more project than, than prospect. But I have no idea what, you know what, I mean, what he's been up to the last year and you know what they've had him working on. Uh, but he was not someone who they were going to use in any, you know, I, I mean, he, 
they were not really using him as a catcher the second half of that year in Bowie. Well, and you've mentioned uh, how important the catching situation 2021 is going to be to a young pitching staff, the defense up the middle. Uh, over the course of this truncated season prior to the deadline, you maintained that the Orioles should deal whatever relievers they could to get something for yep. uh, because they're easily replaceable, and that included Tanner Scott. Jason, this is one of the few times where I disagreed with you. I was adamant that Tanner Scott was untouchable, and, I, and the Orioles did not trade him. He was rumored to be on the block, but they were going to have to be blown away. Yeah, uh, Guys like Castro, Blyer, Givens, they were, they, were, they were gone. They were always deemed to be gone. Um, do you still back that stance, given that the bullpen is now really a strength for the Orioles and seems to be ahead of the curve with this rebuild? I don't think you could have anybody who's going to feature in at best. I don't know. What's he, what's, I mean, 80 appearances? I, I just don't, and with their ability to continue to, I think, there's going to be a lot of failed starts, like, if Michael Bauman doesn't make it as a starter, he's gonna he'll be a closer. Yeah, like and and I get it. He's not you know a lefty, but th- there's there's enough of an arsenal there that as great as he pitched, as well as he did, I just felt like if there was somebody who looked at him as a as a piece to to help them win a World Series, and they're willing to give you three legit prospects to do it. And some of them are position players, or you know, who, who are who potentially could feature in 140 games a year for you. I don't know how you say we won't do it just because you know, nah, he's because we've arbitrarily decided he's he's untouchable. You know, I, I mean, if they're still two years away, and Tanner Scott keeps doing this, I don't think they're going to pay Tanner. And, and and baseball's on the other side of this pandemic. I don't see them winning a bidding war to keep Tanner Scott's services. You know, like that's a good point. I just if somebody else sees him as an elite left-handed closer, and you've got other options here, and your budgets versus their budgets, I just don't see how that's. You know what I mean? That 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 those guys are going to have a free agent contract here or a contract extension here, unless he's willing to do it way earlier than you would think, and. You know, unless you get kind of creative, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's been awesome to watch him develop. Um, and I can remember games where he's throwing 102 miles an hour on the buoy gun, but it's Nuke Lelouch, and it's like, my God, he's going to walk everybody in this inning. Uh, he's come a long way since then, and I'm happy for him. And I, I don't think this was a fluke. I, I think he is turning a corner. But I mean, to have a don, I don't, I just don't know how much the worth of a dominant eighth-inning guy is to a team that, you know, is going to win 40% of their games next year. Well, that's that, that's that's a good point. It's 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 a good point to make. They did they did simplify his delivery, which uh, was cut down on the walks a little bit. So I do I do agree with you that it's probably not a fluke. And you're probably right. He probably if it's a free agent bidding war when he hits that point in his career, the Orioles probably do get outbid for his services. So I don't disagree with you there. Now another young guy in that bullpen is Hunter Harvey. He was injured again to start the 2020 season. Didn't seem quite like himself until about the last week or so of the season. Yeah. Is this a make-or-break year for Hunter Harvey? At what point do the Orioles kind of say, man, he can't—he just can't stay healthy. We need to wash our hands. Yeah, I think that will also depend on the development of a bunch of these other guys. Is, is Pop close? Is Matson close? Uh, 
you know, some of these, you know, is, I mean, is, is this Valdez thing still happening? Like, can nobody hit that guy? And how many other options do we have? I mean, it, it, it's an elite arm, and it's, it's obviously great lineage and genes, uh, and he has embraced this thing wholeheartedly, as he should, because the starting thing wasn't, wasn't working. Um, but, yeah, you know, the greatest ability is availability, and, and that's been an issue. But with all he's been through and as long as this has been going on, I, I don't think they're in any sort of a hurry to move on from him. Um, I have a feeling he's going to be, you know, have an opportunity to close some games early on for them uh, next year, and, and we'll see, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but there's, a, I mean, even Dylan Payton's still an intriguing arm. Like, I, I just, I, that's why I just keep going back to it. And I get it, it's a little different with, with, with lefties, but I just see a lot of interchange. I think they've reached a point where there's a lot of, you know, interchangeable or quasi-interchangeable pieces. And like you guys said, you know, they get rid of Blyer, they get rid of... Um, uh, Castro and Givens. Castro, right? They get rid of Givens. And it did, did it draw? I didn't see a mark. I didn't even noticeably drop off. Right. If you take out Salser, who I think they were... I never quite got that one. And I agree with a lot no, of what these guys do, but I, I didn't see that one from the giddy-up. If you take out Salser, they pretty much shown anybody they tried was was pretty good. Fry got better. Armstrong got better. I mean, again, I don't think that's like they just keep rolling the dice snake eyes. I, I think they're, they're, they know what they're doing with some of this developmental stuff. Oh, absolutely. I think that the pitching staff as a whole was markedly better from top to bottom from 2019 to 2020, and I think that that has a lot to do with the analytics, with Chris Holt, with who they have in place there. So, um, And when we speak about that, when we speak about some emergence, the emergence of some young stars in 2020, you're looking at guys like Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, and Keegan Aiken. You already mentioned Michael Ballman. We talked a little bit about Yusniel Diaz. Who are you excited to see debut in 2021 and who has a chance to have the same type of impact as, say, Ryan Mountcastle or Dean Kramer? Well, I mean, Bauman is certainly would, would be tops on my list, and I, I don't know what metrics he's going to have to hit before they let that happen. I mean, he's somebody who I think, um, if we have a normal minor league season last year, I think we would have saw him by last September yeah. if he stayed healthy. Uh but, you know, you're talking about innings, you're talking about building guys up and young pitchers. So, I, you know, do the minor leagues start on time? Or is, or is even AAA playing only half seasons? You know, I, there's so many unknowns that it's, it's hard for me to say. Um, and, look, I mean, position player-wise, Mason McCoy, Ryland Bannon, um, you know, I, I, they both have good gloves. Um, McCoy could actually play a little bit of short. You're never going to put Ryland Bannon at short. I, I like McCoy's speediness. Um, he's heady. He's smart. There's things I like about him. Um, could he get a shot if some of these other guys don't work out? Um, maybe. Uh, in the outfield, I think it's it's Diaz. And then if Cedric Mullins keeps doing what he's doing, I, I just don't know how Ryan McKenna gets much of a shot. You know, I. I He's he's a better defender, I think, than Hayes or or Mullins. Um, he obviously has great speed. Not that those guys can't run, um, 
the bat didn't come along at double A nearly like what it did when when it was the year was at him and Hayes just destroying uh, the Carolina League. You know, other than that, I, I don't. You know, the, the kids they got. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 position players they got from uh, from the Rockies. You know, Nevin's kid. I mean, he starts the year as the first baseman at Norfolk. Does he knock on the door? I mean, if he does, is there room at the end? If Chris Davis is still here, I, I don't see how. You know, we see him. You know, Vavra is probably playing, um, especially if Bannon's in the majors. If he wins a job there, then I would think Vavra's playing probably second base every day at Norfolk. You know, I've never I, – I, maybe I saw the kid play once when he was, you know – no, I don't think – no, I, maybe I would have saw Nevin's kid at uh, at Hartford. But I, I don't – you know, I'm, I you know, don't know much about Vavra. Um, Seems to have then, a good And then, yeah, catching-wise – there's not, you know, other than Adley, there's... I mean, I like Maverick Hanley. I think he's an interesting uh, kid, but, I mean, you're, he, he's going to be, you know, probably in low A ball or, or high A at best. Um, well, so, you, yeah, there's not, I, I, you know, there's not a whole lot knocking on the door in terms of position players, but, you know, Zach Louther, Michael Bauman, um, I, I'm, I'm Zach Pop, Matson. Those are those are some arms that, you know, I think are are, you know, closer to being there than not. Yeah, I would I would agree with you in that one. You did mention Mason McCoy. The Orioles left him unprotected. You Now, you said that they seem to have a, uh, their, their finger on the pulse of a lot of these organizations. So do you think that he goes unclaimed in the uh, Rule 5 draft this coming December? I would think so. Just I mean, I don't know how many claims there's going to be in general, given all the weirdness going on. Um, you haven't scouted these guys in forever. You're thinking, well, if they didn't protect them, that's saying something. And, you know, are we really going to keep this guy in the majors all year? And Like, he doesn't ha- like he doesn't – there's not, like, one thing he does where you're like, oh, wow. You know, he's just a very – I mean, the speed, it's good speed for a second base. Um, but I don't know that there's anything he does. Like, he's not such an elite defender or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's doubles power but not – power power uh and even the you know the second half of that last full season at Bowie, um and i think the pitchers caught up with him a little bit pitched him a little differently and and um the batting average started dropping so i, I don't i don't know that somebody's claiming mason mccoy I, I would be i would be surprised yeah and i think that he profiles as a solid utility player for the yeah. orioles as as a major leaguer not much more than that so jason we certainly appreciate you joining the program it's been fantastic to talk to you about some orioles baseball here today before we let you go we have one last question for you are the ravens going to beat the titans tomorrow i think so but uh this could be this could be a throw could be uh you know, this this could look like the 1950s Green Bay Packers, the first one <laughs> to 40 rushes uh, as a team wins. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they can. I think I think uh, they're catching the Titans probably at the right time because they're even more beat up than the Ravens. Uh, but whoever loses this game is in a world of hurt. I can promise you that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. I'm nervous about this game. I, I personally, um, this is the first game all year that I'm not picking the Ravens to win. I think Derrick Henry's going to control the clock for, for the Titans. But we'll see. I hope that you're right and I'm wrong. Jason, thank you so much for joining the program. You can catch Jason at uh, on 105.7 The Fan on Inside Access from 2 to 6, Monday through Friday. Jason, thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. 
That was Jason Lockham for, again, he is an NFL insider for CBS Sports. He also is the co-host of uh, Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan with Ken Wyman, as we mentioned a couple of times. Just want to remind you, we're coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, and every Monday through Friday from this same studio, you can catch Glenn Clark and Kyle Oppenheimer bringing their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show on Facebook. Guys called up with Jalen Smith, Bradley Bozeman, Kadri Ismail, David Hess, Tracy Wolfson from CBS, and much more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio in review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. And if you go back even further, you might find me on there from a couple of Wednesdays ago. Shameless self-plug alert. we got to get a break, but when we come back, we're going to do some Orioles banter before we play a, an interview that we have with Tim Healy of Newsday, who covers the Mets. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long. That's Pressbox's Project Game Day every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Bat Around here on a beautiful Saturday morning. We're talking 61 degrees right now in late November. We really haven't had cold weather yet, which is... I saw on the news the other day that the average temperature for this time of year is 57 degrees. You could have fooled me. I have had some damn cold Novembers in my day. Now, it should be cold. It yeah, yeah. Cold. Zach Zach loves the cold weather. Uh, I, I can't... If I had known this before I brought you in as my new co-host, I don't think I would have done it, man. So, you know, lucky for you, you didn't tell me till like two weeks ago. I'm just kidding, man. His face dropped. I'm just, I'm just no, kidding, no, man. No, I'm, I'm just reading over here. I... I... <laughs> I don't know why that was so fun. I'm just reading over here. Anyway, uh, look, since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach is modeling for us, plus a celebrate eight purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They are not CDC approved. So while we stand behind these masks and how great they look and how they make people around you feel comfortable, don't go sneezing and coughing on anybody, which you probably shouldn't do anyway. I was about to tell a story. I'm not going to tell a story. It was gross from high school. Gross. Anyway, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this, uh, this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful to those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. You know what? I'm going to tell this story anyway. It's brief. I think I was a sophomore or a junior junior in high school, and at Falston High School, they have these two stairwells. Wells. Two stairwells on either side of the building, and they're always flooded with people between classes. So I'm going down to lunch one day, and I'm walking down the hallway, and there's this like th- this kid who was, who was an outcast of sorts. Um, I didn't know him very well. I knew who he was, but didn't know him very well. I couldn't tell you his name today. Um, but I had no personal beef with the kid. I wasn't one of those people who judged people based on how they looked. But I remember walking down the stairs, and he sneezed. Right on the back of my neck. Right on the back of my neck. That is a lovely story. Oh, my God. Dude, I remember it to this day because it is one of the grossest things that has ever happened to me. I was so upset. I turned around. I said, are you kidding me? I was so upset. And I feel feel like I tell this story now because if we had masks back then, this would not have happened. So the whole point is, wear your freaking masks and go to PressBoxSportsOnline.com to get your masks. Anyway, moving on to Orioles banter. We did not save a, a lot of time for this today, but luckily we've had enough Orioles talk uh, on a Saturday. Well, look, there's never enough Orioles talk, but we've had plenty of Orioles talk on a Saturday here in the offseason considering where we are in the, in the year. Uh, Nunez DFA'd. 
fans went nuts. Fans went nuts. I had this guy, Tom, who said he's basically the same player as Trey Mancini. And I was like, look, Trey Mancini's batting average was 38 or 28 points higher. His own base percentage was 22 points higher. His slugging percentage was 34 points higher. More home runs, more hits, more doubles, more RBIs. They are not the same player. And he, he, he gave me Trey's 2018 season as the example. When he struck out over 140 times, he hit like 240. And it's like, dude, the guy slid knee first into a brick wall that pretty much hampered him the entire first half of the season. You can't take the one season, the outlier for Trey Mancini, where he had a busted knee for half the year, as the year to go as the year to go by to compare these players. And if you really want to compare these players, Nunez came to the Orioles the second half of that year. He had 275 with eight home runs. The second half of that year for Trey Mancini, 275 with 12 home runs. Tom Latham, Trey Mancini is far and away a better player than Renato Nunez, and I don't want to hear this outlandish rigmarole from you ever again. I hope you're listening. You're probably not because you live in Texas, but come on, man. Come on. Anyway, uh, look, there's, uh, I, 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 and I said this to Stan I want people to understand I do not have anything against Hanser Alberto. I think he was a great story in 2019. He's a guy who anytime he came to the plate when the Orioles needed a hit, I trusted him to get the hit because he puts the bat on the ball, and that's all you have to do to make things happen at the big league level. Put the bat on the ball and make something happen. But I keep talking about him every week because I want fans to understand. Fans need to know that this guy probably isn't going to be here next year. And we saw the backlash uh, uh, from the Nunez DFA last night. And we're going to get the same in a couple of weeks when it happens to Alberto. And look, if if I'm wrong, okay, I'm wrong. But I just don't. I think adding Yomer Sanchez, I think Richie Martin is in their plans. I think uh, Ryland Bannon is in their plans for second base. I think that it's really, I think you're looking at 100, if they play a 162-game season, I think you're looking at 130-plus games with Iglesias at shortstop and Sanchez at second base. They want this good defense uh, behind their young pitching staff. And I'm just trying to prepare people. Nothing against Hanser Alberto, but you need to know that this is coming. Yeah, it is, and I think the writing on the wall for those two guys has kind of been there for a little while now. We knew. I mean, we've been talking about this for a few months now. These guys are on their way out, but as you said earlier this morning, it just means your team's getting better. Okay, you're going to lose a fan favorite, and people are going to get mad about it because they get attached to guys. That's how fandom works, and that's how Orioles fans are going to react anytime one of their favorite players gets cut. And I know that Hanser Alberto's a good guy. I've met Hanser Alberto, Renato Nunez. Again, good guy, but... That's how the business works. Baseball is a business, and you're always going to be replaced with someone better eventually. That's just always how it goes. And Hanser Alberto, he did some good things here. He really he really had some value for the Orioles for the past couple years. But it, it, it's coming to a time where the Orioles are going to be looking at upgrading and trying to compete at an even higher level than what they have in the past few years. So Hanser Alberto will be probably a casualty over the next few weeks here. Yeah, and again, we just need people to be prepared for this. We're still going to hear it. I'm still going to be arguing with people on Twitter about this in two weeks like I was for what felt like hours. It was probably only about 20 minutes last night, but it was so many messages back and forth that I, could, I, could, I couldn't keep up. It was, it was too much. It's just like these are moves that teams that are on the cusp of getting over the hump make. It, it just is what it is. And like you said to about my point that I made earlier, this 
team is getting better, and that is a good thing. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking for from this ball club. Now, what we're also looking for is that the Orioles... We're looking for some young guys to contribute to the Orioles in 2021. And they added six guys to their roster uh, last night to protect them from the Rule 5. Again, Isaac Matson, Alexander Wells, Yasniel Diaz, Michael Bauman, uh, Zach Lowther, and Rylan Bannon. Zach, which of these guys do you think has the biggest impact on the 2021 Baltimore Orioles? That's a tough one. Uh, I think Bannon and Diaz would be the top two guys for me. And the reason is, is, is for Bannon, you know, I, I do think he fits that utility profile, and I do think the Orioles will give him a good chance to show that he can be that utility guy uh, for the season. And obviously, Richie Martin's going to have the inside track there with Jose Iglesias being back at shortstop and, and Yomer Sanchez playing second. So maybe they'll battle it out a little bit, Martin versus Bannon. But I do think Bannon will be on the team in some capacity at some point in the year. And then I think the same thing for Diaz. Again, I, I said it before, but the outfield is very crowded for the Orioles, so they'll have to find a way to get Diaz some at-bats and get him in the field because he is a really, really good player once he gets going. So I, I think both of these guys have the chance. If I had to pick just one, I'd probably go with Bannon. Yeah, I think that Bannon's going to push Ruiz. I, I, I expected Bannon to get a longer look in spring training in 2020 um, because they weren't thrilled with what Ruiz did at the position. Hanser Alberto wasn't going to be in uh, the uh, Renato Nunez wasn't going to be the everyday player at third base. So I expected Ben to get a longer look. I fully expect him to get a better look this year, especially since Ruiz kind of struggled down the stretch, and he took. It seemed like he took his offensive woes into the field. Um, does Bannon play every day? That's up to Bannon. That's up to Ryland Bannon. I think the glove plays. I think the arm definitely plays. Uh, he's he's a smaller guy, but look, Jose Altuve won an AL MVP uh, at five foot six, and that's that's being modest, you know. Uh, so five foot eight for Ryland Bannon. Now look, look, I'm five eight, so I'm I'm thrilled to see a guy five eight get a shot at, at a big league job. At Dustin Pedroia, five foot eight. So I'm excited to see what Ryland Bannon can do. I'm most excited for Yosniel Diaz. Uh, if that dude can stay healthy, putting him in left or right field with that cannon of an arm, with the defense that he plays, and then that bat where he can hit a 450 home run at a moment's notice. Look, the power hasn't translated to monster numbers in the minor leagues, but you know it's coming, right? You you absolutely know that it's coming, and when it does, I can't wait to be there to see it live and in person. Really excited for Yasniel Diaz. Yeah, Diaz. When when Duquette brought him over, they they started changing his stance and they started twerking or uh, tweaking around uh, with, with what he twerking. twerking around. That is not a good word to use. Uh, you know, tweaking around with what he was doing um, stance wise and. Maybe it screwed him up a little bit because he really just hasn't hit the same way uh, since he came over from the Dodgers. But he's a guy I think I, I do think he's going to regain his form. And once he gets more comfortable with the adjustments they've made, and I'm sure analytics can go a long way in helping you steal Diaz because the the talent's all there. We know about that. I remember uh, some of the the national baseball reporters when he was traded to the Orioles originally said this kid's a stud, and that's it. I mean the the, the talent is there. Can he put it all together? That will be the question. And I I think. You know, he, he's done a lot of work at Bowie, and he said he actually improved his speed and agility, which is awesome. So, you know, I, I do think he'll come in and, and probably be the player we expected him to be. And the reports were that he was he was showing out 
down at the alternate training site. The, the, the reports were that he was he looked like a player. It just wasn't the time to bring him up this year. He'll get the start in, in Norfolk next year, and if all goes well, maybe we'll see him by June 1st, maybe sooner, maybe later. But we will definitely, in my opinion, as long as he's healthy, see Yasniel Diaz in 2021. Zach's going to give us a little bit of a live read here about our print edition of Press Box, and then we've got the Tim Healy interview uh, talking about the Mets. All right, so the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens' Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more, helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and at pressboxonline.com. All right, on the line with us right now, he covers the Mets for Newsday. His name is Tim. He- excuse me, Tim Healy. Tim, how are you today, man? I'm excellent, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. They're a little little verklempt. They're trying to get your name out, but I'm good now. Do now. Thanks for joining the program <laughs> yeah. today. So, Tim, we're just gonna we're gonna fly right off the bat here, man. Elephant in the room. Robinson can know. Test positive for stilozinol. It's the second time he's tested positive for performance-enhancing substance since 2018. He's suspended for the entire 2021 season. How was the team responding to this with Cano? Well, Sandy Alderson said all the basic normal things that you would expect in a statement when the news broke a couple of days ago, that they're disappointed, that PEDs have no place in the game, yada, yada. But behind the scenes, the Mets have got to be happy about this, right? This is a guy who's 38 years old now. You don't really know what you were going to get from him in 2021, health-wise, defensively, even at the plate, so that the Mets can just not have to worry about Robinson Cano, not pay Robinson Cano, and use that money and use their other players to cover second base. Honestly, it leaves the Mets in a really good situation. Well, like you said... Uh, externally, there's there's going to be some disappointment from this franchise. There has to be because you have to kind of protect your player. You have to back your player. And he's still on your roster in 2022 and 2023, potentially. But like you said, internally, you have a 38-year-old second baseman who's kind of off the books for 2021. $24 million extra million to spend. You have a hole now to fill at second base. Does this mean that they direct their attention towards free agency? Maybe a guy like DJ LeMahieu to fill that spot. It's possible. LeMahieu is a much better fit now than he was at the start of the week, right? But we don't know specifically yet which direction the Mets are going to go as far as second base or as far as all this money that they can now spend, both the Cano money that's freed up and and Steve Cohen's money overall. and We know he has plenty of it. Um, LeMahieu, as you said, is one option, uh, but I'm not sure, I'm not really confident that he would necessarily be a priority, mostly because the Mets already have Jeff McNeil. And Jeff McNeil best position probably, his natural position, is second base, even though he's played all over the diamond for the Mets the last couple of years. So it could be as simple as slotting McNeil into second and just calling him your starting second baseman. Simple, simple as that. Uh, that, of course, would free up some outfield space, which they can get creative with, whether it's Springer or Jackie Bradley Jr. or somebody else and shore up defensively in the outfield. Um, but without Cano, the Mets have, as you said, they can get younger and they can be a lot more flexible positionally. Uh, speaking of Cano, what does this do 
for his career because he had a chance to go down as one of the all-time greats at the position. One positive test, you can make an argument that you didn't know that he didn't know what he's putting into his body. But for this to happen twice, that's no mistake. Is Cano's career forever tainted? Uh, yes. <laughs> right. Maybe, uh, simple question, simple answer. In this case, at least, like you said, what one positive test, one suspension. You know, maybe there's a little, a small chance at the Hall of Fame, right? Mm-hmm. With two, and this time it's a straight-up synthetic steroid, not even a, a masking agent. Uh, he screwed himself. He's not going to get into the Hall of Fame for how, however great his numbers are, and however great they end up being. He he, he might be statistically one of the best second basemen of all time, but his legacy is tarnished, and basically nobody, I think, is going to view him that way. He really. You know, forget forget the financial side of it, right? He, he, he's missing out on twenty four million dollars, and that really stinks for him. But his legacy is permanently ruined because of it. Oh, absolutely! One of the one of the better players in the league for a really long time, especially with that Yankees franchise. Uh, I remember him winning the home run derby with his dad pitching to him. It was it was such a magical yeah. moment that July. And now all you think about with him is two positive tests and kind of a poster boy for steroids in the post steroid era. Really a shame. Now the last question we're going to ask because we do need to move on to other Mets topics here. The last question we're going to ask about this: Is he going to be welcomed back to the Mets? in 2022, or does Steve Cohen, who is one of the wealthiest owners in all professional sports, simply cut his losses and wash his hands of Robinson Cano? That's a good question, and I don't think the Mets have crossed that bridge yet. The latter option there, Steve Cohen just saying, you know what, forget it, I'll eat the money, which we know he is financially capable of doing, that seems like a legitimate option. It might not have been for the Wilpon Mets, but it is for the Cohen Mets. I think it depends in part on what the Mets do in 2020, how they solve second base, how they like that feel with their roster. But the dynamic that is potentially difficult, too, is players don't like cheaters, right? We saw the, all the anger directed at the Astros after their scandal came to light. Players especially don't like steroid cheaters, and that's what Cano is going to be known as now. So it's going to be an issue of when he do- if and when he does come back, how is he accepted in the clubhouse? How yeah. is he received by other teams? Might pitchers throw at him, right? Uh, this is a guy who was widely regarded as a solid clubhouse leader, somebody younger players, especially younger Latino players, looked up to. And I'm not sure how possible that is anymore. Yeah, it's it's certainly tainted him. It's put a question mark on his career. If I mean, thirty eight years old, still has uh, he's gonna be playing into his forties if the Mets welcome him back. If not, it's hard to imagine that his career wouldn't be over at this point. I don't see a huge market for thirty nine year old second baseman in twenty twenty two. So we'll see how Robinson's Cano story plays out. Certainly not a good chapter uh, for right now, though. Now moving on, uh, the Mets. Fans, the organization, everybody who's surrounding the Mets has to be excited with new ownership, Steve Cohen. Like we said, he has all the money in the world. What are the Mets' plans for this offseason? They've already made the qualifying offer to Marcus Stroman. And you mentioned Jackie Bradley Jr. You mentioned George Springer. Are they going to be tied to every big marquee free agent that's out there because their owner seems to be willing to spend the money? I expect that to be the case, yeah. Right now, they're still searching for a president of baseball operations and a general manager. So even though Sandy Alderson is back, he's team president, 
he oversees the whole shebang. We don't know yet who's going to be making baseball decisions. So it will depend in part on who those people are. Um, but like you said, they're probably going to be linked to basically every major free agent. And that's because it just sorts out such that the biggest free agents this year could reasonably fit onto the Mets roster, right? JT Real Muto, I believe, should be their top priority. They really need a catcher, and he's a really good one. So to me, that's a great match. Um, but then Trevor Bauer, George Springer, even Marcelo Zuna, if you wanted to value the offense over defense, DJ LeMahieu, excuse me, uh, he's uh, run down the list, and they can all reasonably fit. So it's uh, the Mets still have to decide who they prefer most, really. How you doing, Tim? It's Zach Goodman. Um, so we, we were talking about um, Theo Epstein before he, he stepped down uh, from the Cubs, and there's been some rumors about him going to the Mets, possibly maybe a couple other teams. Is there any kind of traction to that? Is there any real rumors going around about Theo Epstein to the Mets? Not really. I, I, I understand the speculation, and that would be a terrific hire for the Mets if they could sling it, but I think he pretty much stomped those out uh, the other day when he stepped down and said he was pretty much going to take 2021 off. That is the Mets' understanding as well, according to someone I was talking to the other day. So it doesn't sound like that's very realistic for them. Um, but, you know, never say never, I guess, right? Steve Cohen has a lot of money when he has a way of making people change their mind. Well, certainly, and Epstein has a track record of taking teams with long World Series droughts in the Red Sox yep. and the Cubs and getting them back to prominence and you look at the Mets they haven't won since what 1986 they haven't won the World Series so he could be the next person to take that to take that over assuming that he would accept a deal if Cohen was willing to pay him like you said he's rumored to be taking 2021 off so with that in mind Tim are there any front runners uh to head up this front office or any names uh that are floating out there right now I I can't I can't confidently pinpoint anybody as a front runner, mostly because we don't we don't know who's up for the job, right? Sandy Alderson right. has done a pretty good job of keeping a tight lid on, on his process. The only name that we know for sure or that is reported to have interviewed is Michael Hill, who used to be the president of baseball operations for the Marlins. Uh, he had been there since 2002 and just left last month. So he's a free agent looking for a job. And, uh, so other than that, we don't know anybody who's been, uh, you know, interviewed or even under consideration. Um, so it's, it's, you know, if you're looking for differences between the Wilpon Mets and the Cohen Mets, this is a pretty stark difference right off the bat because yeah. under the Wilpons, of course, there were all sorts of leaks and things like that. And so far under Cohen and Sandy Alderson, not so much. Yeah, I, I, and I think hopefully that's a breath of fresh air for Mets fans, getting some new ownership in there and somebody who's willing to take the team in the right direction after they've kind of remained stagnant. Um, with the exception of the 2015 World Series, they've kind of remained stagnant for the better part of two decades. Now, uh, is the goal under new ownership to contend immediately in 2021? Obviously, every team will say their goal is to contend, but this is a division with five teams now that can make legitimate claims to a postseason run. Do Cohen, the team, and the fans expect the Mets to ascend to the top of the division immediately, or is this something that's going to take a little bit of time here? Yes, they expect to contend immediately. I think that's definitely true of the fans. I would be shocked if that's not the case with Cohen and Sandy. Um, This is a roster that 
is ready to win now. And it, it's worth remembering that Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball probably, is 32 years old. Mm-hmm. So any year now probably he's going to start trending downward. And you, so you can't afford to waste a prime year of DeGrom. And they've, they've already done enough of that, right? They haven't been in the playoffs since 2016. He's won two Cy Young since then. Um, so they have a terrific lineup. They badly need more pitching. Um, adding, re- re-signing Stroman for one year helps solve the rotation problem a little bit. Uh, they could use some more help there, though. Um, so this is a team that should absolutely be contending next year, and a- anything short of a playoff berth is a total failure in my opinion. I think that that's that that's safe to say they were they were dark horse playoff contenders before the 2020 season uh, and kind of faltered there um, in the tw- in the truncated season uh, with the mentality that they should ascend quickly that they should contend this year and potentially every year moving forward they've kind of always been the little brother to the Yankees in New York the lovable Mets is that changing with Steve Cohen taking over as the owner of this franchise. It, it could change. I, I think it'll take more than a couple of weeks or an off-season or a full year. It'll take more time than that for the perceptions and reputations to change because the Yankees, even though they haven't won since 2009, they're still the Yankees, right? 27 right. World Championships, Steinbrenners, big budgets, getting pretty much any good player that they, that they want. You know, when they want to pull the trigger on a big contract like Garrett Cole last year. That said, they are now the poorest baseball team in New York City, right? Uh, of the two, the, the Mets are richer. They have the richer owner. So mm-hmm. that tide can turn. Um, perhaps right now you can say it's, an, it's a level playing field for the first time in a long time. Um, but the Mets will be, I think, the little brother until they go out and pr- uh, prove otherwise. Yeah, and and the Mets are, are probably going to spend a lot of money in the next few years. Probably even might at some point have a higher payroll than the Yankees. And, and if that day comes where the Mets do have the higher payroll, I know all of that money that Steve Cohen has isn't liquid. But if they do have the higher payroll at some point, would that be you know overtake the Yankees as as the the big brother of New York? It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Mets surpassed the Yankees in payroll in the next season or two. Um, but I, I don't. To me, that alone would not designate them the big brother, right? They, they need to. They need to win. Simple as that. Spending money is great, but it doesn't really mean anything un, unless you actually win. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there are thirty teams that go out there every year with the goal to win the World Series, and only one does it. So you know, it doesn't matter how much money you spend if you don't win the World Series. What's it all for? So, uh, Tim, we're gonna we're gonna ask you one more question here before we let you go. And we certainly appreciate you taking some time with us today. Um, Tom Seaver, he passed earlier this year. His birthday just passed on the seventeenth. He is the only true Met in the Hall of Fame. There's other guys in the Hall of Fame who've played for the Mets, but the only true Met is Tom Seaver. Is a goal of this new ownership, and if uh, or should a goal of this new ownership be to lock up guys like Jacob Degrom and Pete Alonso so that that changes down the road? Yeah, I think that should be the goal of any franchise, any ownership group. Uh, one line that stuck out to me during Steve Cohen's and Sandy Alderson's intro news conference was, "They want to be iconic and winning championships." helps you be iconic, 
But it also helps to have iconic players, and that's what Tom Seaver is. That's what Mike Piazza is. That's what Jacob DeGrom could be. To me, being iconic or it having a Hall of Fame career and staying with that team your entire career is what can no doubt make a player iconic. So we know Jacob DeGrom is under contract for a few more years. At this point in his career through... Six or seven seasons. Uh, he, he's on a Hall of Fame track, I would say. He needs a pretty solid back half of his career to stay on that track. But, uh, you know, it, he's trending in the right direction as far as the Hall of Fame. Whether he spends his entire career with the Mets, we'll see. But so far, so good. I think Steve Cohen, as a Mets fan himself, certainly understands that dynamic. Well, I certainly think it would be good for Mets and for the and- for the Mets and for baseball as a whole, if they had another true Met to get into the Hall of Fame, we're still decades away from that, considering where people are in their careers right now. Uh, but I will say, uh, just from my own personal standpoint, my first team ever when I was in Little League was the Mets, so I've had a rooting interest in the Mets since nice. I was five years old. So, Tim, I'm excited to see them get new ownership, come back to prominence, and and be the team that the Mets should be, and that should be a perennial contender. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining our program today. We certainly appreciate you taking a little bit of time, and you have a great weekend, all right? Thank you, guys. You guys have a great weekend as well. Sam, take care. Bye-bye. All right, and that was Tim Healy joining us. Uh, We did that interview yesterday um, because Tim wasn't available to do an interview today at, at the time that we had available. So we came in around 1 o'clock Friday afternoon, interviewed Tim about Robinson Cano, Steve Cohen. If you listen to the interview, you know what we interviewed him about. So uh, special thanks to uh, Tim Healy for joining us. Uh, he covers the Mets for Newsday. We are going to get our final break of the program, and then when we come back, we're going to close out the show. Masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while. We might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch net gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple net gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 21st at any of the 12 Baltimore area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate, and you also get a free t-shirt. For location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash toy drive. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash toy drive. Masks and social distancing required. Help us stuff the truck November 21st with the Baltimore area Chick-fil-A restaurants. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark's music makes me want to run through a brick wall. There, I said it. And then It's like game day music. Yeah, now I wouldn't want to run through that brick wall and then try and play 162-game Major League Baseball season because Tom Latham might take my bad stats from my injured body running through that brick wall and hold it against me for the rest of my career. So, ah, Tom, I love you. Tom, I love you. Anyway, <laughs> a little sour grapes there, going back to Trey Mancini and Renato Nunez comparisons, which are just completely absurd and stupid and whatever. They shouldn't be mentioned in the same sentence. They, right? they, 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 they shouldn't. They shouldn't. And, you know, I, I don't, look, I get it. I get it. Renato Nunez had 30-plus homers and 90 RBIs in 2019, and he led the team in home runs last year. And, you know, he's a fan favorite. I get it. He wasn't even Luke Scott. Luke Scott would hit like seven home runs in a week and then bat like 250 the rest of the month. Renato Nunez hits seven home runs in a week and then bats like 210 the rest of the month and, and, and strikes out in the swings of everything. Like, like, like let's, let's be real. All right, let's be real. And to, to compare him to Trey Mancini, and like, look, I get it. Trey Mancini had colon cancer this year, and he's in remission. He's recovered. He's recover from that he's working out five days a week now and we hope he comes back and and comes back as trey mancini full strength trey mancini we don't know that he will we we there's no guarantee that he will right but there's i mean i guess there's a big reason why he wouldn't but for me there's no reason to believe that if he's fully recovered if he's completely out of his system that, that, that he won't come back and be 
the guy that we know and love. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, honestly, who the hell cares? He beat cancer. He beat cancer, man. And he's Trey Mancini. He, he's he's just a good dude. And I, like, like, whatever, man. If he never hits 290 with 35 home runs again, I don't really care. Because he beat cancer. And he's a good guy. And he, he gets to live his life. It, like, like, whatever. You know? So, look, really great show today. Really great show. We had Stan the Fan Charles on for his weekly segment at 1020. Uh, Jason Lockham for I've been meaning to get him on the show for a while. Now, we gave him about a half an hour on the show. And he did a great job. Um, he knows way more about, about the Orioles and their minor league system than I ever knew. So kudos to him for being an NFL insider and still knowing as much about the Orioles as he does uh, and for giving us a great segment today. Tim Healy's interview that we recorded yesterday was fantastic as well. Learned a lot about the Mets. Talked a lot about Robinson Cano and Steve Cohen. And look, man, the Mets are coming, guys. The Mets are coming with that owner. That owner, here's the thing about him. He was a Mets fan. He was a Mets fan, and then he buys a team. He's worth $20 billion. That dude is going to spend and spend big. The Mets are no longer. You look. Three, four years from now, they're going to be put. Uh, they're going to be in the same conversation with the Yankees. They are no longer going to be that little brother. They're not going to be the lovable Mets. Guaranteed, most of the country will hate the Mets. But when this is all said and done, because they're going to be winning. That team, he's going to spend a ton of money, and they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, fans should certainly have confidence in him. Yeah, I mean, a- anyone who's a fan growing up and then gets to take over their hometown team, that's pretty awesome. I, In my opinion, that's amazing. Mike Elias got to do it with the Orioles. He was an Orioles fan growing up, so pretty cool. Yeah, it's 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 definitely exciting for Mets fans. And you're right, but Mike Elias, which is one of the reasons we were excited, Virginia native who was an Orioles fan growing up, saw a lot of games at Camden Yards, so we're excited here in Baltimore. They're excited in New York for the Mets. We're going to get out of here in just a minute, but we do need to talk. I guess we don't need to talk about them, but we're going to. Um, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I would, I would be, uh, I'd be decapitated if I, didn't, if I didn't do these live reads. Look, if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, and none of us can because they announced that the Ravens are not going to be hosting fans the rest of the year, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with Press Boxes Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post-game by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault. All season long. Tomorrow, Glenn and Rita are with you for the Tennessee-Baltimore playoff rematch. That's Press Box's Project Game Day. Every game day of the season brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. Do you need your fantasies filled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Pressbox's own Ken Zalis is the number three-ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he typically joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. However, due to the holiday, this week's show will be at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Again, one week only, 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Listen to the show at pressboxonline.com radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at facebooks.com slash pressbox. Sports. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Well done, Zachary. Well done. Now, do you have some time to talk about the Ravens? you got to get out yeah, of here and get, some, and get some twerking in. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to announce my re- resignation of using the word tweaking 
on this show ever again. So it's not going to happen. Uh, but no, I, I'm definitely down to talk some Ravens. Um, oh. Yeah, like you said before, not not too confident going into this week. Yeah, man. Look, it was a nice win against the Colts. Nice win, um, especially with a depleted defense. Then you go into New England and you're 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 playing in you know Hurricane Sandy up there, and you have uh, you lose Brandon Williams basically the first quarter of the game. You have nobody to stop the run. The the Patriots ran all over the field on them. Look, Lamar played a good game. Lamar played a good game. The interception was a poor decision, but I have no faults with anything else that he did. Only only problem in that game it, for yeah. him was that. Yeah, he he didn't need to make that throw. Matt Skura snapping. I, I'm hearing rumors of Ben the, the uh, Bradley Bozeman. Could be the center this week. Look, injured thumb or not, this is two weeks in a row that you're you're and and look, the guy's family got threats. He got threats. They put his wife and kids in it. Like, who are you? Who are these people? Like, like this is sports, man. This isn't like your job or like like even if it was, you need to chill the hell out. Like. Sports are my entire life. My life revolves around sports, and I have never once even fathomed sending a letter or a message to a plant to a player threatening him or his family. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're idiotic. You probably need psychiatric help. If you're writing these letters to people, get some help, man. Get some help because it's it's ridiculous. But there's no me saying but is not justifying. Matt Skurr needs to do a better job of snapping the football. You can argue that he's the reason that the Ravens lost that football game on on Sunday. Now, look, there was a lot of things that went wrong. They couldn't stop the run to save their lives, but Matt Skurr had some bad snaps in some pretty pivotal moments that cost the Ravens. Yeah, it's got to be better. And and really, I I have trouble degrading a player no matter who it is no matter what they do because they're 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 out there trying their hardest they're out there doing their best to win and we know that and that's that's what they're there for uh but yeah needs to do a better job and um you know what what happened to him was kind of unacceptable but uh matt wise one of the big ravens fans asked uh a bunch of other ravens fans to donate to matt skura's foundations they did that and that all worked out pretty well so that was good but um as far as the titans game goes I think the game plan has got to be what the Ravens did against the Patriots in that second half defensively. So with that, you're going to stack the box, bring the safeties down, let them be in, bo- you know, in the box linebackers, and then you have Marlon and Marcus Peters who are going to be on the outside and who are going to have to play the deep zones. And they're going to be the last line of defense for you because you're going to have to stack the box to stop Derrick Henry. You're going to have to put everyone in there, especially without Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams, so you can't get bitten on play action, and that happened last year in the playoff game. They got bitten a lot on play action because the safeties weren't – they were in the box and not up in the deep zones. So that's – they're going to have to find the balance of being in the box and then also having guys back to stop the play action. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm sitting here. You sound like a coach to me, man. That was – that uh, was, you know, never, you never know. I can't even talk today, I guess. But <laughs> you, you, you never know. I mean, it, it's it's uh, you know possibility. We'll see. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, man. It got me thinking. Like maybe we should do our own football show too here for press. I, I think we should. I mean, yeah. you know, if Glenn lets us. I, I think they have. Enough, I think they have all their uh, their football bases covered. Football bases, a, a baseball, a football bat. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just. They got run all over. Now look, the defense made stops when they had to. Um, after the Ravens got, after the Ravens tied the game, after the Ravens got close, the the defense made stops. Right, so that was good to see. Um, unfortunately, 
if you're going to put all those guys in the box and you're going to have uh, Humphrey and Peters playing man coverage and you're going to be playing the deep zones and whatnot, like you just said, I just think that Derrick Henry's going to run all over you. Yeah. I, I just I just think that Derrick Henry's going to run all over you, and I think that Tannehill is competent enough as a passer that he can find somebody uh, behind those that behind that stacked box. Look, we we got to get out of here, so I'm just going to give my prediction right now. I'm looking at 27-24 Titans. Derrick Henry, I wouldn't be surprised to see him rush for about a buck fifty and a, and, a, and a score or two. I'm not too scared of Ryan Tannehill, and I and I love that our corners are back. L.J. Fort's back, and that's a big deal. That's a big deal. But you're still missing Calais Campbell. You're still missing Brandon Williams. And like, look, I had all the confidence in the world in the Ravens coming into this year. I don't now. I don't now. And th- look, it's like Jason Lock and Forrest said. They need to win this game or else they're in the world of trouble. They got Pittsburgh coming up, and they got uh, the Cowboys the week after that on Thursday Night Football with Andy Dalton back. And like, the, look, the Cowboys with a fourth-string quarterback took the, the Steelers to the wire a couple of weeks ago. So They're beatable. The, 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 they're the, beatable. The, the, the Cowboys are beatable. The Steelers are beatable. The Cowboys are beatable. Of course they are. But I also think that the Cowboys have something to prove, and that's still a winnable division for them. So... Ravens need to do themselves a favor and win tomorrow. I just don't have the confidence to go, that they're going to. 27-24 Titans. I was going to go with 27-17 uh, Titans as well. I just think the Titans are going to run the ball as well as they do. And Derrick Henry's fantastic. The Ravens gave up well over 100 to Damian Harris last week, who's not half the running back that Derrick Henry is. And, you know, the, the Titans O-line's banged up. They still have done a pretty good job of, of making holes for Derrick Henry without Calais Campbell, without Brandon Williams. It's going to be kind of tough for the Ravens, in my opinion. So 27-17 Titans. Yeah, now look. Lamar counted for 508 total yards of offense in that playoff game against the Titans. Titans are injured also. Their, their defense is terrible. This could be Lamar's coming out party for 2020. He could go absolutely nuts tomorrow. If he does, the Ravens could win. We'll see if it happens. Guys, thanks for tuning in so much. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Bat Around today. Thank you again, as always, for indulging us while we talk about the Ravens to close the show. We're going to see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.